traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Mr. Tibbs and the Flying Saucer by Frederick Lewis Fox Elderly Henry Tibbs is a latter-day Munchausen who runs a service station in a small town on Highway 66 and never has a chance to go anywhere except in his fertile imagination. But vicariously, Mr. Tibbs is Walter Mitty, Frank Buck and Jules Verne he regales his customers with fabulous tales of his experiences, and they, and Mr. Tibbs, pretend to believe everything he tells them. Unbeknownst to Mr. Tibbs, his conversations are picked up by Interplanetary Radio, on Mars, and are sponsored there by Happy Joe, a dealer in used canal barges. Happy Joe sends a Martian emissary to visit Mr. Tibbs, to take him to Mars to collect residuals on the radio broadcasts. But Tibbs settles instead for a trip around the world in a flying saucer. On his return, he is bursting to tell people about his fabulous unfitness trip around the world. Then, to his dismay, he learns that his name is on the front page of the local newspaper that day. Over the years, Mr. Tibbs has submitted material that has won him numerous honourable mentions, but today, of all days, he learns that he has finally won first prize in the Burlington Liars Contest. He has a small souvenir of his flying saucer trip, but he puts it in an attic trunk, closes the lid, and locks it. With a wistful sigh, he says, no one would have believed it. So that's how it could have went, but tonight let's see how it did go. Not by meeting Mr. Tibbs, but by meeting Mr. Frisbee, and he too has some tall tales to tell. You fellas know anything about meteorology? Here we go again. I can't say we do, Frisbee. Well, I can say that I do. Majored in it at the University of Wichita. Got my doctorate. Wrote a thesis at the age of 13 that's still used as standard text. Meteorology and you, it's called. Folks that know say it's the most scholarly treatment as a subject in the history of the field. Old Cumulus Frisbee, they call me. <laughs> Cumulus Frisbee. Cumulus Frisbee. <laughs> this guy's a meteorologist. I'm Vice President Johnson. What'd you say, Lyndon? So let's jump aboard that flying saucer and examine tonight's episode in the internet's most popular podcast where we'll look at Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. The reluctant gentleman with the sizable mouth is Mr. Frisbee. He has all the drive of a broken camshaft and the aggressive vinegar of a corpse. As you've no doubt gathered, his big stock in trade is the tall tail. Now what he doesn't know is that the visitors out front are a very special breed destined to change his life beyond anything even his fertile imagination could manufacture. The place is Pitchville Flats, the time is the present. But Mr. Frisbee's on the first leg of a rather fanciful journey into the place we call the Twilight Zone. (laughs) 
first broadcast on April 13th, 1962, written by Rod Serling but based on a pitch by Frederick Lewis Fox and directed by Lamont Johnson. Now, Serling's entrance into the shop at the beginning of the episode is almost perfect because Frisbee goes out of the door and then Rod Serling comes in. But there is just that cut in between that stops it from flowing perfectly. But it's great to see the effort and it's nice that Serling is clearly on the set. So maybe the choppiness of this is because originally there was a longer opener narration but it was changed and it was redone to be a bit shorter. But originally it went like this. The reluctant gentleman with the sizable mouth is Mr. Frisbee. He has all of the drive of a broken camshaft and the aggressive vinegar of a corpse. As you've no doubt gathered, his big stock in trade is the tall tale, the outrageous falsehood, the bending of truth, up to and beyond the breaking point. What he doesn't know is that the visitors out front are a very special breed, destined to change his life beyond anything even his fertile imagination could manufacture. The place is Pitchville Flats. The time is the present, but Mr. Frisbee's on the first leg of a rather fanciful journey into the place we call the Twilight Zone. So it's clearly sailing, doing his verbal gymnastics and having a bit of fun with this. And you know what I like about the opening narration is that he does have that slight smirk on his face and the twinkle in his eye as he delivers that intro. And I do always enjoy that. Now I have to comment on the location of this tale. The first actual shot is of the outside of the store and it's this wonderful ornate old American storefront with a vintage gas pump and it's just beautiful. And then inside is just layer upon layer of set dressing to make up this old fashioned general store. The kind of store that had to have a bit of everything because the small town that it's located in needed it too. And when I say I love Americana, it's not just the urban environment, but the more rural environment too. And this was a time when things were built to last. And they have a fabulous style to them that just screams America to me, like the gas pump outside is built like a tank. And everything's made from metal and wood with that fabulous American style to it. It's the signs and the brand names that I just love to be immersed in. So points to the episode so far for that. Now the story is based on a pitch by Frederick Fox and this is someone who we've heard from fairly recently in the episode Showdown with Rance McGrew. So clearly this is a man who liked the story with a lighter touch or at least those were the stories that he pitched to Rod Serling. So Martin Grams Jr. in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic documents some communication between Fox and Serling about the Rance McGrew episode. Because Rod Serling sent a finished script of Rance McGrew to Fox who had originally pitched a kind of idea about it. And Fox wrote back with this note. Your satirical script is delightful. I loved reading it. Rance is a very badly spoiled boy. I might add also that his is a lot funnier than my guy. But I'm afraid you've posed a problem of ethics. You've taken whatever small seed I may have planted, nurtured it richly, 
in gestation and brought forth a flowering peach. So how in the name of integrity can I dare to horn in on the fruit? As I recall, all I gave you was a quickie about a deceased hombre who, in righteous protest, crawled out of his pine box track dwelling to destroy, with a gun, the comical image who portrayed him on the tubes. And as I remember it, he also punctured a few grey flannel balloons along the way. So after he returned the script to sailing, he included the Mr. Tibbs and the Flying Saucer pitch. And clearly sailing liked it because he wrote back with, Mr. Tibbs is a delight. If we go back into production for 10 more films, I'll have one of our people contact your agent. Hang on and don't lose faith. So in our episode, Mr. Frisbee goes out to meet a car that's pulled up to buy gas. And this is the good old days where you could smoke next to gas pumps. This is the man. Frisbee. Is that his name? Frisbee, an incredible specimen. Done everything, knows everything, studied in most of their major universities, holds a doctorate in at least eight fields. Obviously a key man. So seven minutes into the episode, and we've probably been exposed to about half a dozen of Frisbee's tall tales, and I quite enjoyed the interaction that he has with his friends in the store. And I was discussing this with my friend Ashton Kutcher the other day. We all know someone who has a personality trait that is both a source of frustration and amusement. Half of you hates it, but the other half can't help but be amused by it. But now we're going to meet two characters who aren't going to scoff at Frisbee in the same way that his friends do. Now I have to admit, apart from the main character played by Andy Devine, none of these actors are familiar to me, and it doesn't help that the crediting on the episode is a bit mixed up too. IMDB doesn't even list most of the men that are in this episode. Because the two men in the car and the men that we'll meet later on are all kind of these balding, approaching middle-aged, bland-looking men who all look kind of similar, maybe that was the point. But I think these two are played by Milton Seltzer and Larry Brightman, but I can't be sure about that. Ah, I don't think I'd better take that walk. It looks like rain. Then you are frightened. We had thought that you'd be the one man willing to take almost any risk. Well, that may be very well, but who may I ask is saying all this? If you walk down the road, as I suggested, you'll find out. Well, rain or no rain, I never was one to duck a little excitement. Who, who are you? You'll find out. Well, all right, but wait till I get my things put away. That won't be necessary. You won't be coming back. So Mr. Frisbee doesn't take a walk down the highway, but through the magic of special effects, the aliens lift him from the ground. So while Mr. Frisbee flies to his destination, let's meet the man who played him. So Mr. Frisbee was played by Andy Devine. Now IMDb lists 195 credits, to his name 
and that is just credit so it can include multiple episodes of a single show but his Wikipedia says that he was in over 400 films so I'm not quite sure whether that's including actual episodes or not but he was certainly one of our hard-working actors of the day and while some people will instantly know him from particular roles that he played I also think people who don't know him by name will probably have seen him in something and maybe they just can't place him. He is one of those kind of actors. And he was born in 1905 in Flagstaff, Arizona, and he was a successful semi-professional football player back in the day. And in a future echo of Frisbee's numerous nicknames, he played under the false name of Jeremiah Schwartz. And his acting career actually begins in the silent era with a film called The Collegians in 1926. And when you look at his early roles, you can see that because he was the athletic football player type, he's getting cast to type in those films. And one of the most unique things about him, obviously, is his voice. He had that scratchy, kind of raspy quality to it. Now, this didn't matter so much in the silent era, but with the advent of the talkies, there was a question mark over whether this would damage his career. So why did he talk like that? Well, in another future echo of the Frisbee character, apparently this was something that he liked to tell the occasional lie about too. And as Wikipedia page says, Divine claimed that his distinctive voice resulted from a childhood accident in which he fell while running with a curtain rod in his mouth at the Beale Hotel in Kingman, causing the rods to pierce the roof of his mouth. When he was able to speak again, he had a laboured, scratchy, duotone voice. A biographer, however, indicated that this was one of several stories Divine fabricated about his voice. His son Tad related in an interview for Encore Western's channel in 2007 that there indeed had been an accident, but he was uncertain if it resulted in his father's unusual voice. And when asked if he had strange nodes on his vocal cords, Andy Devine replied, I've got the same nodes as Bing Crosby, but his are in tune. So another aspect of his early career with his stocky muscular build was Westerns, and that's where he really first made his mark. But then as time went on, with that unique voice of his, he was a perfect fit for comedy, and that became the more prominent aspect of his career as he went forward. So a very well-loved actor it seems, but strangely one of the things he seemed to inspire is the song Andy by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, which is from the album One Size Fits All in 
So how is Andy Devine in this? Well, it's interesting that Frederick Fox initially suggested to sailing Ed Wynn for the role and Martin Grams Jr. writes that he's unsure as to whether sailing actually pursued Wynn for it. I think for a lot of us, Ed Wynn is probably our go-to guy in the Twilight Zone for that endearing older man type of role and I think he could have pulled off this part no problem. But maybe where Divine seems to have a bit of an edge is he seems more authentic in the country aspect of the role. He is very believable as this old country boy sitting spinning his yarns in that setting. And I think Wynne had a bit more of a whimsical aspect to him, which was perfect for something like One for the Angels. But Divine seems to fit this role really well. I personally don't find him as magnetic as Wynn is in general, or maybe as endearing, but I do think he's a better fit. And, you know, once you kind of get used to him, he's pleasant enough to watch. So after his short flight, Frisbee finds himself at a flying saucer. And as it turns out, the men in the car were aliens. Come right ahead, Mr. Frisbee. We're waiting for you. That's right. We're waiting for you inside. Impressed, Mr. Frisbee? Impressed? <laughs> Why, with this rinky-dink? <laughs> this looks like a flea on a dog compared to the one that I designed for the United States Space Agency. And that was back in 1951. Old Rocket Thrust Frisbee, they called me. Please, Mr. Frisbee, be so good as to enter. Now, we all know by now that Forbidden Planet props appeared in the Twilight Zone numerous times as did the Forbidden Planet Flying Saucer. So have you ever wondered how many times and in which episodes it appears? Well Steve Rubin in the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia has you covered and of course it's a well-known fact that I gave Steve Rubin the idea for the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia which is why he calls me Old Encyclopedia Elliot. But his entry on the ship goes like this. He says the Forbidden Planet Saucer, originally designated as United Planets Cruiser C-57D, was created for the 1956 MGM science fiction film Forbidden Planet. And it was in the following episodes. Number one, third from the sun. It's the ship that will take the Sterker and Raiden families to a new planet. Number two, the invaders. A smaller model of the C-57D lands on the roof of an old woman's house. Number three, in Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, the full-sized saucer exterior is featured as the craft of the aliens who kidnap Somerset Frisbee. Number four, Death Ship, the full-sized saucer plays the craft piloted by Captain Paul Ross. Number five, in On Thursday We Leave for Home, it's the rescue ship 
commanded by Colonel Sloan. So there you go, according to Steve Rubin, there are five appearances of the Forbidden Planet Flying Saucer, which I designed and built. Say, it's getting late and I gotta get home for supper. I gotta get out of here. I gather that you don't quite understand the situation, Mr. Frisbee. How's that? You're not going home for supper. You shall have supper here. Here? Precisely. In exactly, well, 14 minutes by your measure of time. We'll be departing. Departing from where to where? From here to our planet. You see, Mr. Frisbee, our assignment here was to secure a representative Earth species. Hopefully the most brilliant we could find. There seems to be no question that your accomplishments are far and away more extensive than those of any other human being on Earth. Mine? Frisbees? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm just an old country boy with a big mouth. So is the episode referencing itself here? Because when Frisbee is taken to the ship, they talk about him becoming a specimen in an alien zoo, just like in People Are Alike All Over. So maybe there's a connection there, but to be honest, you can find several instances of human zoo sci-fi around that time. I think there's examples in things like Dimension X. So I don't necessarily think it's a direct link, but maybe. But in the episode, the cat is out of the bag now, and Frisbee has admitted that his only talent is telling big porky pies. And then we have a scene where Frisbee punches one of the aliens in the face, and his head cracks open, and reveals the alien's true face beneath. And Martin Grams Jr. documents this in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, he writes, on February 12, 1962, Brocco and Seltzer reported to the studio so William Tuttle and his crew could make moulds of the actors' faces. Actor Larry Brightman underwent the same process on February 13th. When Frisbee punches one of the aliens, a mask containing the replica of one of the actors would be needed for the revealing of the alien's true form. The punching scene was done twice, one for each mask, Brocco and Seltzer. The moulds took 48 hours to create, and the time it took for the masks to be made from the moulds took at least one week, which is most likely the reason the actors reported to the studio far in advance of filming. I do really enjoy this moment. I think it's a great use of a quick cut, and sure, the effects have been surpassed now, but, but it's the effort that I appreciate here. People like William Tuttle were pioneers in this art, and the work and imagination that goes into that couple of seconds would have been huge, as we've just heard. You know, they were planning this thing well in advance. And it's not just Tuttle making the masks, it's then, how do you film it? How do you edit it? This is the magic of movies and television for me, that collaboration, that melding of these different talents. Man, the last time I saw anything that looked like you, I'd been four days on the corn jug, and even what I thought I saw looked better than you do now. Say, tell me, are the girls where you come from, do they look like you too? Uh, you'll become accustomed to our appearance, Mr. Frisbee. 
much as we've been able to accustom ourselves to yours. Well, one thing I'll say about you, you sure are built hard. <laughs> oh, we are indeed. So Old Frisbee breaks out his harmonica, which is an instrument that I too am a master at, which you can hear on my album, Tom Elliott's Harmonica Moods. And the aliens don't like it, and then Frisbee is able to escape. So yes, it's all a bit hokey, it's a bit silly, and I guess a bit convenient. The critic Leonard Hoffman said at the time, this week's injection of whimsy makes for a mild diversion that doesn't measure up to the impact of the straight shocker plots. And it's hard to disagree with that, there's really not much in the way of impact here, but it is supposed to be fun and diverting, so I guess in that way it does what it's meant to. You know, I've probably been hardest on the comedy Twilight Zones in the past, but I find it hard to completely come down on this one. It's an episode that is built around one central idea, the idea of a liar actually experiencing something that is either on par with or surpasses the lies that he usually tells. But because he is so much of a liar, nobody believes him. He is the boy who cried wolf. Well, Mr. Frisbee, for the first time in his life, to the loss for words. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it for him. World's greatest liar. Mr. Somerset Frisbee, presented by his friends. Occasion his 63rd birthday. Go ahead, Frisbee. Make a speech. I've been waiting all day for this. Yeah, come on, Frisbee. Now, really, now tell us one of them real whoppers. Yeah, like, where you been the last couple of hours? Did, did you invent something? Or maybe you took a quick trip up to the moon, huh? <laughs> now, you know you ain't very far wrong. Do you know who them fellas was out there in that car? Well, I'll tell you who they was. They was from outer space. <laughs> oh, now, wait a minute. I don't know how they did it, but they just whished me right through the air, right into their flying saucer, and they was going to kidnap me. <laughs> so I guess the reaction Frisbee's friends have to him is similar to the way that I react to this episode. It's silly. It's goofy. Sometimes you can't believe what you're seeing. And at first, his friends seem to be annoyed by Mr. Frisbee and his ridiculous lies. But then when you spend a bit of time with the old geezer, I guess he starts to grow on you a bit. So, make no mistake, it's probably still on the bottom tier of Twilight Zone for me. But maybe I'll let it sit near the top of the bottom tier because I don't find it as objectionable as things like A Thing About Machines. And whether it's successful in what it's setting out to do, it doesn't make me laugh because it's a well-executed piece of comedy, like Trading Places, the film I wrote for Eddie Murphy, but it does have that kind of dad-joke, cheesy quality to it, where you maybe give it a little chuckle while you shake your head a bit, at the corniness of it. Mr. Somerset Frisbee, who might have profited by reading an Aesop fable about a boy who cried wolf. Tonight's tall tale from the Timberlands of the Twilight Zone. 
So, a bit of a short episode to come back on this one. Not much in the way of trivia, and really, there wasn't a huge deal to say about it. You know, it is a bit of cheesy fun, but there's not really many layers to dig into. But that's fine, you know, sometimes entertainment for entertainment's sake is okay. So let's hear what you think about a few things over on Submitted for Your Approval. I've had an email from my old friend Al and he said, Your review of 4 o'clock was terrific as usual. Thanks for including the Piggies clip. I got a kick out of that. I hope others did too. It was worthwhile to hear the original short story and discover how short and streamlined it is. Very like the John Collier original of The Chaser. Sailing's 4 o'clock is not a great episode, but you can see what a writer of his calibre does to expand a story as opposed to Robert Presnell's expansion of The Chaser. Sailing's expansion, I think, is superior. Still, it is not an easy episode to like because of the required expansion and the bottle show aspect of the setting, and that Krangle is so despicable. There is no doubt that he is evil, since he becomes three feet tall at four o'clock, but I disagree with everyone who says he is insane, because he becomes three feet tall at four o'clock. His power worked. I think that's the problem for me though, Al, that that's the thing that that kind of muddies the water because they do show him as clearly insane, you know, some of those looks off he's doing. He's a madman. And yes, you could say, well, actually he was evil because he changed size at four o'clock, but the show is clearly showing him to be a madman as well. And it kind of should be one or the other or, or just go with the evil thing. So Al goes on, is this just the Twilight Zone exacting vengeance on one lone crank? Or are all the other people in the world now three feet tall? We never find out. One of the things I liked about the short story was the way his previous crazy schemes were diffused by reasons beyond craziness. The transition from airplanes to jets, for instance. Is that just a lunatic justifying his delusions, Or is this a man with the power, but with bad timing? We have encountered people before in the zone, Anthony Fremont being the best example, with amazing powers. Why can't Krangle be one of them? Next is Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. That's one of my all-time favourite episodes. How about skipping the last five new Twilight Zone episodes and going straight to that? Just kidding, but not about the all-time favourite part. I love that episode. Who says Rod couldn't write like comedy? Best Al. Okay, thanks for writing in Al, I appreciate it man. I've had an email from Jeremiah and he says, Hello Tom from California, USA. I've never written in before, but I've been an avid listener of the podcast since I discovered it in January of this year. The episode Hocus Pocus and Frisbee will serve as a nice diversion from the current heated argument circling around the new Twilight Zone series. You're not wrong there, Jeremiah. This episode has always been a personal favourite of mine and is one I always find myself re-watching because it's simply so fun and entertaining. 
I know many fans would put this episode at the very bottom of the greatest episodes, but I feel this episode achieved something the Twilight Zone always had trouble executing, and that was comedy. Frisbee is the best example of an episode made purely for the pleasure of entertainment, and it works as both comedic and science fiction. Andy Devine as Frisbee is simply perfect, so much that it seems like this episode was written directly for him. He's a lovable ham, a bigger-than-life character that is believable as this stout country boy who is an expert at spinning the yarn. Devine's past work on a variety of American Western films like John Ford's Stagecoach found him somewhat typecasted as an old farmer or general store proprietor, and he's done so here. However, when paired with the sci-fi aspects, it's like watching the first demonstration of a sci-fi western. Divine, a Hollywood veteran at this time, has a strong characteristic voice which makes him out to be somewhat of a real-life cartoon character. I believe he later used it for Disney films, but it's a perfect vessel to carry the comedy here. The story is a simple boy-who-cried-wolf tale, but set in the Twilight Zone, gives it an otherworldly twist, while also being a great commentary on lying and liars that every child should see. I first saw this episode as a kid and loved it. As I grew older, many of the episodes I loved as a kid became some of my least favourite episodes, but not this one. I still love to watch this one and my brother and I still quote lines from it to this day. My favourite being, old rear engine frisbee he called me when reflecting on how he and Henry Ford designed the first automobile. Near the end of the episode, after Frisbee is abducted by aliens, his use of a harmonica to thwart them was a simple and perfect solution. Only a harmonica could be more annoying than one of Frisbee's tall tales. Hocus Pocus and Frisbee is never included with the greatest Twilight Zones ever, but it is a great episode. It successfully includes both humour and the cosmic elements of the Twilight Zone in a simple, funny and entertaining way. Even with an underlying message about lying and liars, this may seem sacrilegious among TZ fans, but I would include this episode as one of my stranded on an island and could only take five episodes list. It's funny, it's weird, entertaining and there's a point to be made. Thank you for all that you do, Tom. I hope this episode provides a nice diversion from the tightrope you've been walking with the current series. You do a great job with the podcast. And that's from Jeremiah. Thank you, Jeremiah. You know, it's funny. The um, the timing of the last two episodes has been kind of... has been kind of interesting because we got four o'clock smack bang in the middle of the new Twilight Zone which a lot of people were accusing of being too political. And then we had this kind of very political episode at uh, four o'clock, which was, which was sailing, trying to infuse political things into a short story that already existed. So the timing of that was quite interesting. But the timing of this one, I suppose, is a bit of a palate cleanser. You know, I loved the new Twilight Zone. I didn't have a problem with what it was trying to do. Um, but I think it was more what was around it, the kind of internet noise that that was getting to be a bit exhausting. So having a bit of a palate cleanser like Frisbee, you're right, it, it was kind of nice to come back to this one. 
So now we're going to backtrack a little bit and go with some clips from a couple of listeners talking about 4 o'clock. So let's start with Chip. Hi Tom, this is Chip with feedback for 4 o'clock. I really like the short story for this one, but I didn't think that it made Krangle seem evil to deserve the punishment he gets at the end. He wants to stop war by keeping all the planes grounded. He wants to change wheels into squares and triangles to prevent accidents like the one that he sees in the paper. And he wants to, you know, make all the evil people identifiable so as humans we can do something about it. Now, as you mentioned, you know, people who need to get to work and they take public transportation and stuff like that with buses and things, you know, he obviously wasn't taking that into consideration. But I still didn't think his motives made him evil overall to deserve the punishment. However, the Twilight Zone episode, I think, does a much better job at illustrating this. He blames a medical intern for killing someone. And, you know, if we arrested all doctors who had someone die on their watch, you know, we probably wouldn't have any doctors. He harasses people of suspected communist leanings, which is a lot like the McCarthyism that you were talking about. Um, It'd be much simpler if he just kind of went after criminals, but he just goes after people for just making innocent mistakes. Um, And in the episode, you know, he's a little out there as well. You indicated that he seems more on the insane side. Um, So once again, I think the short story didn't really give it any justice, but the TZ episode made it much better. I do have a couple notes on a few more episodes, uh, just to go back a little ways. Little Girl Lost, I when I was watching this, all I could think of was Poltergeist, and I was wondering if this was kind of the basis for Poltergeist. You've also mentioned in the past that movies like are inspired by Twilight Zone or Twilight Zone themed, and you have like a bunch of Twilight Zone movies, quote-unquote. I was wondering if Poltergeist was in your TZ movie category. I also really, really loved the episode To Serve Man. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, the twist ending was just remarkable. Um, I was all excited that aliens came and you know, wanted to help solve our hunger problems, solve our energy problems, and all this other stuff. And was kind of irritated that the humans were wondering, you know, what's the catch? What's the catch? There has to be something. I was hoping that it was just kind of one of those feel-good episodes. Um, showing how we need to work with each other instead of against each other. But at the end, they kind of did the twist again. The last episode I have notes on is Quality of Mercy. Um, I am in the military in the United States, so I really kind of like this episode. I thought it was a really apt take on when a new officer shows up to a unit and kind of just slams into things uh, with their own ideas and their own opinions before getting the lay of the land. Um, When he did talk about you know shaving and cleaning up their uniforms and stuff like that um i did think however that reinstilling discipline can be a good thing and can give a jolt of energy to a unit and also we have reading lists for enlisted as well as officers on like how to how to be a good soldier or or officer or also how not to i think this episode could be on that list of things to view or or read or whatever Um, both what to do and what not to do, mainly what not to do as an officer. Um, Anyway, just thought I'd share a few few notes, and I look forward to more 2019 Twilight Zone and your recap of all the original series. Take care. Chip, thanks for chiming in, man, and thanks for keeping going the kind of clips. You know how I love to get clips off people, so that's great. I'll just pick up on a couple of things. You, You included some great stuff there. I always find it interesting to hear from people in the military commenting on military twilight zones because obviously Rod Sailing was a, a, a man who saved his country as well 
So it's one of those things, you know, no matter what we do, no matter what job you do, we all have insight into a particular world that no one else really has insight into. And things like the military, the police, the fire service, you know, doctors, the medical um, service and so on, are those big kind of things that everyone has an opinion on, but only the people actually working within it have a true understanding of. So I think it's really great to get a serving officer's opinions on, you know, the military Twilight Zone episodes, and I hope if more come up, you will chime in again, so thank you for that. Uh, as for Poltergeist, I think I did mention in A Little Girl Lost, I can't remember, um, there was this thing where Spielberg contacted Matheson and, think, and I think maybe asked for a copy of the story so he could check it out, and Matheson sent it to him, but then they never really heard anything, and Spielberg made Poltergeist. So whether it's one of my Twilight Zone movies, you know, it probably would be, but it, it was a movie that I watched over and over as a child. I used to love it, but I haven't actually seen it in, in quite a few years. But if I watched it again, I certainly think, especially as Little Girl Lost wasn't that long ago, maybe it would be one of those Twilight Zone movies for me now. So thank you, Chip. It's good to hear from you, man. And thank you for your clip. So next up we have Bob with some comments on 4 o'clock. Hey Tom, this is Bob from the U.S. Uh, just got through listening to your episode on 4 o'clock and uh, wanted to respond back and provide some comments. Uh, first off, I just cannot understand all the people that have issues or problems with um, you covering the new episode. Uh, Obviously, you've been covering the classic episode the entire time. You'll continue doing that, and just incredible the way that uh, you've you've stuck with this and spent all the time involved in doing it. Um, it it's totally natural for you to be dealing with the new episode as well. So I, I just really don't understand people's concerns on that. Uh, but I don't, I don't think you could have had any more of a timely episode right now, considering the new series coming out then then four o'clock. Uh, you obviously know my views on on the new the new series. I mean, I think it is uh, extremely left wing and liberal and one sided in its in its viewpoints. But when you look at this classic episode of Four O'clock, for those people that say the Twilight Zone, the new series shouldn't be political and uh, shouldn't be dealing with these types of issues. You don't need to go any further than to look at this classic episode right here, where, where Rod Serling was dealing with a very current topic at the time, the Red Scare. And um, I, 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 I think it just clearly shows that uh, Serling was tackling these types of issues and addressing them. But it, w one of the differences that I do see, though, between the, the classic series and, and at least how I perceive that Rod Serling dealt with it in the new one is, is really just in how they address issues. And to, to kind of paraphrase uh, a, a saying I've heard from, from another friend of mine on, on another uh, topic, I, th I think if you looked at how the Twilight Zone has dealt with issues, um, we should really look at all this where uh, in, in, in cases of morality, there should be unity. In, in process, there should be liberty. And in, in all things, there should be charity. So when you're dealing with moral issues, uh, racism, discrimination, hatred, that there should be unified condemnation of those. But when you deal with the process of how you address them, 
there should be liberty. People are going to have different points of view on how you address moral issues. And people should be allowed to have their own points of view. That's why we have political parties. But in all things charity, we don't need to be hating each other and attacking each other and so forth on, on, on all these types of things, which is happening just way too much nowadays. And what I think Rod Serling did an excellent job of doing over the years in, in his stories is addressing the morality of the issue. And I think that's why there's such uh, kind of universal love for the Twilight Zone, because he dealt with the moral issues uh, that, that we all could condemn. Where I think the news series is getting off base, they've waded into the area of process. How, how, how do you address these issues? And they're coming down on it on the side of the liberal process, uh, the Democrat process. Um, I, I think if they went back and looked at this original series, I think, I think there are better ways of tackling it. And uh, again, to give credit to you, Tom, I think you have dealt with, with all of these issues in, in that type of format where you've really addressed the morality of it that we all can unify behind. You've been... Uh, very open in terms of um, not coming down on on the process of how should you you address this, and uh, definitely you've been charitable to everybody responding. So for e anybody that's responded to you from a negative standpoint on how you uh, deal with these with these issues with these episodes with how your podcast is put together, um, th th that just really upsets me. So. That that really just kind of brings me to, uh, again, pointing to the fact that um, the Twilight Zone does deal with politics, does deal with political issues. And Four O'Clock, I think, again, is a perfect example of that. Uh, so just my thoughts. Keep up the great work. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to being with you for another 20 years to, uh, or, or 10 years, I guess, make it probably 20 total by the time we get through with all this. And... Um, Great work on the on the new uh, Twilight Zone as well, and uh, just look forward to continuing to listen. Thanks, Tom. Bye. It feels like twenty years, Bob. It feels like twenty years. Believe me, it does. Um, you know, I was counting up the episodes. I think we've still got like I don't know, maybe about seventy episodes to go, or maybe sixty. I'm not too sure, but there's there's still a fair bit of Twilight Zone to go, man, so it, it certainly feels like 20 years. I would like it not to take another 10 years, but we'll see, we'll see. I want to try and get a bit of momentum going. Obviously, uh, the new series has kind of slowed that down a bit, and I guess season two next year will do that. But thank you for your support. Uh, you know, I appreciate it, and I think I'm a great believer in what people put out into the world is really reflective of what's inside of them. And if people are putting ugliness out into the world or towards another person, then that reflects more on them than it does on me. In fact, it doesn't reflect on me because the true friends of the show, even the ones who didn't watch the new series, were understanding that it would be ridiculous for the Twilight Zone podcast not to cover it. So I think really it's just exposed, you know, who are the true friends of the show and who is not. And that's unfortunate, but that's that's kind of the world we live in. And I think it's also a symptom of the fact that the show has become, you know, a, a very successful show. The numbers were always great on it because I used to pretty much be the only Twilight Zone podcast out there. 
but then especially in the last couple of years the numbers just got bigger and bigger and then when the new series came on they they just went through the roof even more so when you're exposed to more people then you know some of these things come your way but it was a lesson Bob it was a lesson to learn for me I think on how to deal with that and I think I'm a bit more um, robust on that kind of thing now but I appreciate the support of the true friends of the show and I thank you for your message thank you man okay so one final clip is from a good friend of the show Harold who if you listen to the new Twilight Zone episodes you will be aware of his voice already so let's have a listen to his message because he kind of puts a cap on the whole of the 2019 experience. So here's Harold. Hello, Tom. Harold Clark reporting in from Beauty, Texas, talking about the Twilight Zone 2019 overall episode rankings, Friends of the Show edition. So I went through and listened to all the, uh, all the feedback and uh, you know collected all the the rankings that people people gave um, and uh, figured out what what we thought was the quote unquote worst episode and what we thought was the what the was the best episode. Uh, so I'm no uh, statistician. Uh, I just got some humble Excel skills, plopped them into my worksheet and ran some formulas. So um, so we had 11 people total that I saw, unless I missed something. Uh, that gave rankings of some sort. Uh, six people gave full lists of one to ten, and five people gave partial lists, uh, either a top five or, or uh, for some people, they mentioned that this was the best episode of the season, and that was the only data point I got, or this was the worst episode of the season, and that was the only data point I got. But whether we whether there was three or six or 10 or 15 data points, it all averages out, uh, you know, to, uh, to the final rankings. So before I get to the rankings, um, I wanted to list what was the most uh, divisive uh, episode, uh, i.e. which episode had the, the widest range of rankings, uh, all the way up to what we thought overall we agreed on, hey, this this episode slots right in here. We we agree that this is this is where this belongs. So, uh, at number ten, the most divisive uh, episode as far as rankings go uh, was actually uh, the Blue Scorpion. Uh, number nine was the Comedian. Number eight was Blurry Man. Number seven was Point of Origin. Number six was A Traveler. Number five was Six Degrees of Freedom. Uh, number four was The Wonderkind. Uh, number three was Not All Men. Uh, number two was Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. Uh, and we, we were pretty, pretty uh, tight on Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, relatively speaking. But then the, the one that was the most common was uh, Replay. So we, we all agreed that Replay was was at this position, and we'll we'll get to that shortly. So, uh, on to the uh, averages. So, coming in at number 10, with uh, an average ranking of 8.38 out of 10, uh, was The Wonderkind. 
and as previously mentioned, we it was number four on the on the spacing there. So we we mostly agreed. Yeah, it it kind of kind of deserved or not deserved. It's not the right word, but we 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 mostly thought. Yep, that was down near the bottom of the list. So that was number ten. Uh, number nine is with a ranking average ranking of eight out of ten is not all men. Uh, and then we get uh, a big jump in rankings uh, uh, over over a full point. Uh, number eight is point of origin with an average ranking of six point seven one. Coming in at number seven with an average ranking of six is the comedian. Coming in at number uh, six is A Traveler at an average ranking of 5.5. And then we get another jump in the rankings of over a full point. And surprisingly enough, we, we actually have a tie at an average ranking of 4.44 for two episodes. So I had to, had to consider, well, what is the tiebreaker? Um... Because one episode actually had a number one vote. Uh, the other episode had a number two vote. But that episode also had two number seven votes. And the first episode with a number one vote also had a number nine vote. So uh, taking in the, the consensus of what we thought uh, the episode should be, i.e. Which, which episode had the closest range of, of rankings, um, I put that ahead. Uh, so coming in at number five uh, is Blurry Man. And coming in at number four is Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. So then we get another jump of almost a full point into our top three. So uh, if I had a bigger budget, I would have a drum roll, but I don't have any budget. So, oh, well. So coming in at number three with an average ranking of 3.5, uh, this episode had one number one vote, uh, one number two, two number three votes, one number four, and three number fives. So that locks it in silently at that 3.5 range, which was the most, um, that was the most, uh, an episode that we agreed on the most, which was replay. So uh, we we thought that you know replay was you know an excellent episode overall. Like I said, it nobody ranked it outside of the top five, and that's why it drops in at number three. Number two, uh, with an average ranking of two point seven five. So again, a pretty substantial jump, point seven five jump. Uh, this episode had one, or actually had three number one votes, uh, two number two votes, one number three vote, uh, but then it had two number six votes. So that dropped it down just a touch, and that episode is Six Degrees of Freedom. That then leaves us with, uh, coming in at number one, with an average ranking of 2.57 uh, is the Blue Scorpion. Uh, the Blue Scorpion had four number one votes, two number two votes, and one number ten vote. 
So that was, the Blue Scorpion was actually the most divisive uh, episode because of the four number one votes, but then also the one number 10 vote. Um, but I mean, not, 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 you know, the Blue Scorpion and Six Degrees of Freedom, very, very close. Um, so yeah, very interesting to see how those, those episodes shook out, you know, um, like I said, we'll see how episode or how season two goes, and uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe by that time, the friends of the show will have grown, and we will have more people talking, and and you know, get some more data points. And so, anyway, but this has been a fun ride. Again, like I said, I think I speak for everybody, Tom, and letting us give us our give our opinions, and and just it 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 has been really cool to hear other people's thoughts. Uh, again, multiple people have, have, you know, said some things, especially about the Blurry Man episode, about what the, you know, what the, you know, the Blurry Man represents and just, just, you know, just little bits of research that different people have done. And yeah, so it's been really cool. This has been really neat to, uh, to, to see, you know, us all come together and, and like I said, just kind of show our love for Twilight Zone and in our own way. So Anyway, well, uh, it's on to the classic episodes, and and uh, we will just see what they have in store for us for 2020 and beyond. Okay, I'll talk at you later. Bye. Harold, I'm just going to say thank you so much for the effort you, you went to to put that together. Harold sent me a spreadsheet, and the kind of stuff he went into, the figuring out he did was just fantastic. And I really appreciate that, man. So the Blue Scorpion... Uh, comes out top that's fantastic one of my favorite episodes you know next year and i talked a little bit about this with harold behind the scenes it would be nice to maybe build in a bit more of that you know who's who's our favorite actor uh not only the favorite episode things like favorite director you know that kind of thing not to really have an award show as such but just to get you know some opinion about certain things a few favorites it's just a bit of fun and i will figure out how to do that uh, closer to the time whether it's something people can vote on on the website people who don't necessarily want to send a message in that kind of thing but we will cross that bridge when we come to it but i'm so glad that people seem to enjoy those listener feedback shows i thought it was a great community thing to do it um, get, and get and you know everyone stepped up you put the word out about something like that and you never know what you're going to get but so many people like Harold stepped up and put their voices out there and we and we kept it on a level it was good discussion and I think it, it was a pretty great thing so I thank everyone who contributed to that and I thank you Harold for putting that together so if anyone wants to get their thoughts on the show about the next episode, then please email me at tom at thetwilightzonepodcast.com with your thoughts. You know, emails are fine, but I think we've seen a lot of clips of late, which is something that I'm really keen to do, getting those voices onto the show. So, you know, about five minutes as a rough guide is a pretty decent level, I think. So let's go with that. Now, speaking of thanking people, this is where I would usually thank all of my iTunes reviewers and all of the new patrons, and there's been a few, and I really want to thank you. Um, I am a little behind. I think New Twilight Zone threw me off a bit. There are some new patrons I want to thank, some new iTunes reviewers. 
So if you could just give me till the next episode to do that. I really wanted to get a classic episode out as soon as I could. Um, so I will take the time to put that together for the next episode because the support from the patrons was fantastic. You know, their service over there with the extra shows I do on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Twilight Zone podcast, was disrupted a bit, but they've been super understanding about it. So I wanted to get an episode out for them, which was the After Hours, which I just did. And I wanted to get a regular episode out on the main feed too, on the, on the classic show. So, speaking of classic show, we've got another one coming up next, so let's go over to Rod Serling to find out what that is. And now, Mr. Serling. We have a return visit next week from a most eminent performer, Joseph Schokraut. And his vehicle is called the Tradens. It's a story of a future society in which new bodies may be traded for old. It's my own personal feeling that of all the various story areas we've tackled in the Twilight Zone, this has the most import and carries with it the most poignance. I hope you'll be able to be with us next week. You know, it's only a short hop from the Twilight Zone to Dodge City and Gunsmoke. Saturday nights over most of these stations. <laughs> 